What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Oh, what's up, Lions? That's right. We are wooing today. I'm wooing like the nature boy, Ric Flair. That's how excited I am about what's going on this week, because as you listen to my voice right now, I am currently, most likely, yeah, you might be listening to this way in the future, I don't know, but if you're listening to this on Monday when it drops, I am currently in New Hampshire, probably on a boat fishing with my dad right now, but soon to be at Porkfest, which we are attending Thanks to our amazing supporters, our members of the Lions of Liberty Pride, who support us on Patreon. I'm going to talk a little bit more about our pork fest plans towards the end of the show after our debate that we have today. Yes, today is featuring a debate. Very excited to bring this to you. Been building up for quite a long time. Um, but first, I want to remind you that it's not just me, Mark Claire, here every single Monday with interesting guests, roundtables, and as you'll hear today, debates. Uh, I also have a few colleagues here, starting with my man, Brian McWilliams, who brings you his weekly dose of comedy culture and liberty on Electric Liberty Land every single Wednesday, while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up every Friday with his look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. That's why you gotta hit that subscribe button, folks, whether you listen on iTunes. I don't think iTunes is even a thing anymore for podcasts. It's the podcast app through Apple. Stitcher Radio is a popular one. Overcast is what I use personally. I don't care how you listen to this show, but it's crucial you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss all the great content. Three shows Three unique shows, three days per week here at Lions of Liberty. The only libertarian variety show out there. This is the 352nd episode of the flagship original Lions of Liberty podcast. That means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 352. Let's do this thing. All right, today I've got a interesting little show planned for you guys. We're going to have a little conversation about the concept of self-esteem. And, and this is a subject that we've touched upon in the show a couple times before. And those couple of times just so happen to be with the two people I have on with me today. Uh, first up, he is a former vice presidential uh, candidate for the Libertarian Party, having run with John McAfee in 2016. He is, I guess you would say, he's unofficially the official photographer of the Liberty Movement. He's appeared on the show several times. I'm very pleased to welcome back my friend Judd Weiss. Judd, are you ready to roar? Roar. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on, Mark. I appreciate it. I love having being on your show. Absolutely, man. Next up, he is the author of the book Three Minute Therapy. He has been on this program before discussing his crit- critique of the concept of self-esteem. I'm very pleased to welcome back Dr. Michael Edelstein. Dr. Edelstein, are you ready to roar? Uh, thank you, Mark. Thanks for setting up this uh, debate or discussion. And uh, I'm afraid roaring isn't in my repertoire. However, sometimes my unconventional ideas about self-esteem 
cause other people to roar. <laughs> <laughs> well, we see, we'll see if your ideas can get Judd to roar at you, and, and we'll see how things go from there. <laughs> I think that's going to be the scale. We're going to have like a roar meter. Yeah. <laughs> I need to get an official roar meter at some point, I think. I can make things interesting. Yeah. Uh, I just want to start off kind of uh, for people that are unfamiliar. Uh, obviously, I'll link to both of the episodes that you guys were on the show in the past, both both of which where you talked about your ideas about self-esteem. Uh, we'll link to that in today's show notes. Uh, and just for people that aren't familiar with this concept, uh, you know, I'll, of course, I'll link to uh, both of the episodes where each of you came on the show in the past discussing it. Uh, but just to kind of uh, give a quick summary of both of your backgrounds when it comes to the concept of self-esteem, just so people kind of have an idea. Uh, Judd, we'll start with you. I know you were obviously a very good friends with Nathaniel Brandon, who was really, I guess you might even say the modern day uh, conceptor. Is that a word? I think he really came up with a modern concept of self-esteem. So why don't you just go into a little bit about your background with the subject? Sure. Uh, yes. Nathaniel's known as the father of the self-esteem movement, but the self-esteem movement has become something very different from what he was establishing back in the starting in the 50s. Uh, however, me personally, uh, I I got uh, handed a copy of Anthem when I was, uh, what, 14, a book by Ayn Rand, and I just delved into all of Ayn Rand's books, and I discovered Nathaniel Brandon that way because he had essays in Ayn Rand's books. Maybe when I was 15, 16, something like that, I might have been reading Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal, something like that. I just read everything by Ayn Rand. I just devoured that when I was in early high school years. And... Uh, I feel like I learned a lot from my brand, but I feel like I grew a lot from Nathaniel Brandon's books. Because once I got into Nathaniel Brandon's books, I think that was the biggest uh, noticeable change in me in my life. Uh, no, there's no doubt that Nathaniel Brandon has had far more influence on me than anybody else. I feel like I was raised more by Nathaniel Brandon's books than by my own parents. That's how strongly I feel about Nathaniel. And... Um, I did did get to know him, but not till years later, because back when I was reading his stuff, before I even got into Ayn Rand, I was into like industrial metal, like uh, Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, that type of thing. I wore black, I had bleached hair, I had an attitude, I was kind of a loner, and, and I was going down that path. And you know, to be honest with you, if you read some of Marilyn Manson's writings, he's surprisingly intelligent and eloquent. But he doesn't believe in morality and, and, and he's kind of he's got this like, you know, screw the system kind of attitude, which appealed to me back then. I was more kind of a rebel. And I felt like nobody could beat me in a debate until I read Ayn Rand. And finally, I was the winner in all, any debate. I could run circles around anybody. But I, I felt like it wasn't until I got into Nathaniel Brandon that I, I really developed uh, a lot more functionally as a person. and. I did get to know Nathaniel some years later. Uh, back in the day when I was, I don't know, 19 or 18, 19, I would drive to any of his book signings anywhere in Cal Southern California because uh, I'm, I'm in Los Angeles. So if he was in Orange County, I would be there. And um, and I, uh, my interaction with, them, with him then was just being ushered through the line of people getting an autograph. And, you know, I, I doubt he remembered me from back then, but I was a huge fan. Uh, it wasn't until maybe 10 years after that, maybe around 2008, I met him at a uh, objectivist soiree, uh, like a salon of people discussing objectivist ideas. And he came and I got to know him and I got close with him and his wife. I would help him out on his computer. When he stopped driving, eventually I would actually give him rides around L.A. Um, and, and it was 
a godsend for his wife because she would have to take do all these errands for him. And now I was driving him to things like just picking up dry cleaning. And then he would take me out to lunch and I would talk to him. And he was a hero of mine. So for me, that was an honor. And much of my life had changed. I already had a house in Bel Air. I was a commercial real estate broker. I moved on from being a loner high school kid. But it was still a great treat for me to get to spend some time with him. Um, and I hosted his birthday party, his 81st and his 82nd birthday parties I threw for him at my house in Bel Air, which was a huge honor for me. Um, and so I got to know him a bit before he passed away. Um, I spent a lot of time with him. And um, and I feel like I, I can speak pretty well on, on, uh, on those topics. However, I haven't read any of his books in maybe maybe a decade and i i haven't refreshed at all to to catch up to speed on the minutiae of of his work so i i can't say i'm a i'm a precise representation of him right now because i just got back in town from new orleans been traveling and i'm i'm on this podcast to discuss his ideas i i have no idea what uh what michael the other person on the phone has ever said about nathaniel where his disagreements lie i have absolutely no clue but I'm abs- I'm able. I think I am able enough to discuss his ideas uh, fairly eloquently. Right. Well, that's what's going to make it fun. And I, what I really want to discuss today is more of each of your own ideas about it. You know, less so than necessarily exactly representing Nathaniel's ideas to the T. And uh, yeah, so uh, Dr. Edelstein, can you please go into your background a little bit? Obviously, you come from more of the the clinical perspective. But uh, what is your background in, as in regards to the concept of self esteem and uh, and uh, how you've come to actually be critical of that idea? I'm a clinical psychologist. And I have a Skype and phone practice, as well as in-person practice in San Francisco. And I've written a few books. Uh, They all touch on self-esteem. But in my first book, Three Minute Therapy, I have an entire chapter criticizing the whole self-esteem idea. And I had an article in Liberty Magazine when it was around uh, called The Trouble with Self-Esteem. And I often help clients who have problems with low self-esteem, and I teach them how to get over that by giving up the whole concept of self-esteem. I learned uh, the view I have now of self-esteem and uh, the critical view from Albert Ellis. Albert Ellis was a brilliant psychologist, mainly in the 20th century, and uh, he started a school of therapy called rational emotive behavior therapy, uh, and then many cognitive behavior therapies followed from that. And uh, um, to some extent, my association with Dr. Ellis parallels yours, Judd, with Nathaniel Brandon, because uh, first he was my mentor, teacher, and therapist, and then in later years, we became somewhat friendly. Well, it's very cool that you both come from a a background where you actually got to intimately and very personally know the people that had that kind of influence on you. I think that's pretty rare for in general. Yes. And also, I've discussed my ideas on self-esteem on various podcasts on yours, Mark, and also with Stefan Molyneux on his podcast and with Tom Woods on his podcast and uh, many others. So uh, I'm pretty much steeped in the REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy uh, idea 
on the problems with self-esteem and the solutions. All right. And I think the best place to start uh, here is to ask each of you how you personally define self-esteem, because whenever we use certain terms, you can end up talking past each other if, if we don't actually know exactly what the other person means or what that term actually means to them. So, uh, Judd, why don't we start with you? What does the concept of self-esteem mean to you? Well, it's uh, very simply your esteem of yourself or how you, uh, uh, your, your judgment of yourself, essentially. So, um, uh, or another way to say it is your experience of yourself. If you're, if you're in, um, in, uh, you're driving on the road and you don't trust your tires because you feel like your tire might pop at any moment, what are you going to do? you're going to drive more cautiously because you don't feel like you can rely on your tires to actually handle your car. And um, self-esteem is something like that. If you don't actually trust your ability and yourself, then you're going to have to be a lot more cautious. You can't be very confident in uh, moving forward because you're just not comfortable that you're going to be able that you're capable of handling whatever you you're, you're getting yourself into. So a self-esteem is the idea of uh, it, it is important because if you don't have a confidence in what your in your skills in your in your tool sets in your abilities in yourself at all, you're going to hold back. You're going to be a lot more cautious. You're not going to push forward uh, very strong in whatever you're doing. So uh, self-esteem is very critical and essential to the human experience. A lot of people are coming to Dr. Mike about um, uh, about self-esteem issues. That's a very, uh, I don't know, to be honest with you, if, I, if I'm presenting it as a, um, I probably should have done some little, little bit of reading to check up on, on how Nathaniel's explaining it. But basically, it's your experience well, I yourself. like the car analogy. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's basically knowing that your car has full tires, that you have the oil checked, that the vehicle that you're driving in, which in this case is your body or your mind, really, uh, is, 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 is something you can have confidence on so that you can proceed through life in sort of a, you know, in a, in a confident way, in a, in a forceful way. Yeah, that's a very basic understanding. Yes. All right, and uh, Dr. Edelstein, what does the, the concept of self-esteem mean to you? Okay, well, self-esteem is most basically an emotion. If we have high self-esteem, normally that means we feel good about ourselves. If we have low self-esteem, that means we feel bad about ourselves uh, as people. So let, let me talk about for a minute where emotions come from. And most people would say our emotions come from situations. For example, if I find out my wife's cheating on me and I feel jealous, most people would say, well, your wife cheating on you made you jealous. Uh, that's pretty common and it's an intuitive view. Or if I'm fired and I feel bad, most people would say you feel bad because you were fired. But that's not how we work psychologically. The way we work psychologically is that it's never situations themselves, my wife cheating on me, losing my job, anything else that causes our emotions, but rather it's our thinking about those situations that creates our emotional reaction. Our thinking, views, attitudes, ideas in our head, what we tell ourselves about situations that cause our emotions. So, for example, if I'm fired and I feel 
bad, that's because I'm evaluating the situation in some way. That's a cognitive process. And I'm saying to myself, I don't like having been fired. This is very bad. I won't be able to pay my rent. I won't be able to afford to eat. Uh, this is a horrible situation. Uh, so it's those evaluations about it. This is bad. I don't like it. I wish this didn't happen. That causes my feeling bad. Similarly, if my wife cheats and I feel jealous, again, it's my thinking that causes my jealousy, what I'm telling myself. Again, this is bad. I don't like it. This goes against my goals, values, and preferences. This will make my life worse, which will be very inconvenient and frustrating. So again, it's our thinking, our views, our belief system that causes our emotions, not situations themselves. And is that kind of because, just, just to step in for a second, so just for example, I mean, I, let's say someone gets fired now, and, and most people would say, oh, I'm very upset because I got fired, but it's really, the event is the event, and then the emotion is the emotion, and I'm just kind of working this through myself as we have this conversation, but it's possible someone could get fired and say, well, thank God, I'm so glad I got fired, I was never going to leave that job on my own, but now that I've been fired, I can take this opportunity to actually explore other things that, that perhaps I wouldn't have if I hadn't gotten fired. So it's the same event, two people might, might interpret it differently. Kind of exactly right, very okay. well said. And we can diagram that in terms of an ABC theory that Albert Ellis came up with. A stands for activating event, I got fired. B stands for my belief about it, it's very bad, I got fired, and that leads to C, our emotional consequences, feeling bad, feeling uh, anxious, having low self-esteem, uh, those kinds of things. So it's never A, the event that causes C, our emotion, but rather it's B, our belief about it. And as you say, Mark, different people can have the same event and, uh, evaluate it differently and thereby have different emotions. So let's get to self-esteem and defining self-esteem. So esteem means to think highly of, so self-esteem means to think highly of yourself. As Judd said earlier, your judgment of yourself. So if you think highly of yourself, then normally you create high self-esteem. If you think lowly of yourself, you create low self-esteem. Uh, so you are rating your total self. Now, most of the time, people rate their total self based on their behavior or, or how people react to them. So first they rate their behavior. I got fired. That's bad. That's unfortunate. And then if they have a self-esteem problem, they overgeneralize to their total self. That means I'm bad, I'm worthless, I'm a failure, I'm a loser. So rating your total self based on the rating of your behavior. And as we speak, I'll make the case that it's very good to rate your behavior and figure out if you're doing well, continue to do well, and if you're doing poorly, how can you change? But there's no point to then generalizing to your total self, and that tends to make things worse. Hmm. So uh, you said earlier something about self-esteem is about feeling bad or good about yourself. Is that 
ultimately how you're looking at self-esteem? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, well then that might be the, the source of all this difference here because that's not exactly what Nathaniel Brandon says or that's not our view. The view isn't about whether you feel good about yourself or badly. It's about your judgment of yourself uh, uh, and your, 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 your esteem of yourself. So if you feel bad because you got fired or because or somebody cheated on you or somebody did something terrible to you or something happened to you, that's not necessarily self-esteem. Uh, it could impact your self-esteem if you get fired because you might that might be a ping to your uh, self-esteem score, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean you, you, you might not take it as uh, uh, something that is reflecting on your, your esteem of yourself and your competence and your ability and your worthiness. Uh, but you might, you might, uh, that might affect it. But just because you feel bad doesn't mean you have low self-esteem. Because if somebody dies close to you, uh, you're going to feel bad. But that doesn't necessarily impact your esteem of yourself. Um, you might be hurt. You might not be at your full strength. But your esteem of yourself in general might not be affected. So feeling bad or feeling good isn't what it's about. It's about your uh, your belief in your understanding of where you're at as far as what you're capable of and uh, and what you're worthy of. Yeah, I agree with a lot of what you said, uh, Judd. Uh, because you feel bad doesn't necessarily affect your self-esteem. And that's what I'm saying also, that yeah. when you, f it depends on what you feel bad about. If you feel bad about yourself, then that's, low self-esteem. So, so then what is but your if you, oh, May I finish? A judge, oh, may sure. I finish? Sure. Um, but if you feel bad about your act, I think we're saying the same thing. If you feel bad about your act, then that's uh, positive, that's constructive, because then you can look at your act and see if you want to change it or improve it or anything like that. But then so why are you saying self-esteem is... I just have, I'm just finishing oh, up here. Okay. So feel bad about your actions, your behaviors, but don't overgeneralize to your total self-esteem. And you're sort of saying that, I think. Yes, but what, what do you mean by self-esteem is nonsense? If I could just step in for a second, why don't, why don't I just, just so we can go back to um, the concept of self-esteem and then maybe go from there. Because I just want to re quickly read Nathaniel Brandon's own definition of self-esteem that sure. he had written. I know he's, he's written about it in many different places, but one that I've used, and I, I, talk, I did this, I, I brought this up in uh, my interview with Dr. Edelstein, uh, which I'll, again, I'll link to in today's show notes. But uh, Nathaniel Brandon said, self-esteem is the disposition to experience oneself as being competent to cope with the basic challenges of life and of being worthy of happiness. It is confidence, confidence in the efficacy of our mind and our ability to think. And he goes on a bit, but that that's the general idea there that um, not that not really a, an event by event basis feeling bad about the the actions or or what you know whether it's like you said the event of being fired or the event of being cheated on uh, it's okay to have bad feelings about those things but if you have that um, sort of I guess that that backbone or, or that sort of um, I guess uh, kind of like Judd was saying with the car if you know that you have the mental ability to cope with these challenges you're going to be that much better off and that's kind of is his concept of self-esteem is the knowledge that you are able to deal with life's challenges um, as sort of your own disposition going through life. So, uh, do you want to? Do you have like a criticism of that that we can go into, Doctor? Doc oh yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, and one of my main criticisms of that is uh, that people are not uh, monolithic. People do well in certain areas and poorly in certain areas, 
And if you are looking at their overall ability and everything, and then somehow adding it together and getting an average, it doesn't work. Let me give you an example. Uh, Ayn Rand herself is a good example. Uh, she wrote a number of really good books on political theory and some novels. I read Atlas Shrugged, and I greatly enjoyed it. And then there was a movie, which was very uh, interesting and enjoyable as well. And she uh, fueled the whole movement, the libertarian movement, and uh, a philosophy, a school of philosophy, objectivism, all that is really great. So in those ways, she did very well. But in other ways, she did very poorly. For much of her life, she was addicted to nicotine, dexedrine, caffeine. She was somewhat acerbic and offensive to many people. She wanted to be friends with Frank Lloyd Wright, the great architect, but he, after meeting with her a few times, he'd have nothing of it. And at one point, when she lit up a cigarette, he grabbed it out of her mouth and threw it on the ground. In 1974, she had surgery for lung cancer from smoking, which she said smoking was really great and had symbolic meanings and things like that. She continued to smoke two packs a day even after the surgery for lung cancer. And uh, she told her inner circle, don't tell anyone that uh, I had lung cancer. She was apparently ashamed of it. And she praised smoking in her novels. And then uh, she died eight years later of lung cancer. So she had some very, very bad traits, some very, very good traits. So using the self-esteem measure, would we give her high self-esteem, low self-esteem? And she's not unusual. We're all like that. We all have strengths, we all have weaknesses, we all have people who like us, people who dislike us. So it doesn't really, so you're adding apples and oranges when you come try to come up with a total rating of yourself as a good person, an able person, or uh, uh, not an able person. That's one of the main problems with self-esteem. It's an overall generalization rather than just focusing on your traits. Now it makes sense to say, Ayn Rand did great in some areas of life. Ayn Rand did poorly in other areas of her life, period. What's the point in then giving her or ourselves some kind of overall rating or judgment, as you said, Judd, and Nathaniel Brandon used that word also, overall judgment of ourselves? Judd, what, would you, what do you think about uh, his... I, I, okay, okay, so I think I, I get where you're going. You're saying that there's... Uh, so many, we're so multifaceted. We have so many different aspects of our lives that that we that, and I don't think that that's necessarily a uh, a conflict there. Some areas we have higher confidence in than others. We have strengths and weaknesses. I don't think anybody uh, challenges that. And clearly, Ayn Rand had extremely high self esteem, uh, high esteem of herself, in order to push so. F- strongly as a writer as a philosopher um uh she clearly had her weaknesses uh, she didn't like photos of herself uh, there, she wasn't confident uh, as a as a model for photography but and she didn't want to be on stage uh as representing the philosophy as much she groomed nathaniel for that she thought he was a better face for it so clearly she there are some aspects where she was not confident in herself and she thought her accent was too strong. She wasn't the she wasn't the best voice as a speaker 
for the philosophy. Um, so th- that's true. Uh, I, I, I don't think anybody, I don't think Nathaniel would take issue at that. But, but nevertheless, uh, the, the experience of self-esteem is about your competence and your worthiness. And yeah, it can be multifaceted. I don't, I don't see that as something that has to be a, um, uh, it's, like, it's like our credit score as a human. Uh, there's there's different aspects of us that we have higher scores in and lower scores in. Um, the truth is, like any strength, you have to go to the gym to build it up. You can't just wish upon a star and hope that you you develop a strength in a certain area. Um, I've talked to Nathaniel about this, and w- one of the things that I said to him once was that this, I told him this in his later years that. All of his books have the word self-esteem on the title. Uh, He's known as the father of self-esteem, but it's all nonsense because the truth is he's not teaching self-esteem and he never has. He's teaching personal development. He's teaching people how to become stronger, more competent people. And as a consequence, they have a higher self-esteem. And he didn't really respond to that much, but he liked it. He had a big smile on his face and he enjoyed hearing that actually because it uh, he's he's if I can go into it a little bit, he's known for the six pillars of self-esteem, and and what they are, those six pillars are are ways to develop yourself in six different aspects. There's the one of the pillars is living consciously. The more aware you are, the more confident you can be in your mind and your abilities. The less aware you are, the less confident and the less self-esteem you'll have. Uh, the they are, uh, the, another pillar is self-responsibility. The more responsible you are, the more you feel like you can rely on yourself. The less responsible you are, the less you feel like you rely on yourself. The living purposefully, being productive. The more productive you are, the more you, it, it goes on. Uh, having integrity. Integrity uh, is important because lack of integrity rejects your words. It rejects your ideas. If you if you say something and you don't act on that. You're you're discounting yourself and you're hurting your 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 esteem in yourself. Um, having self acceptance, if you are able to accept where you are, it doesn't mean that you believe that you're strong and you have a high esteem in yourself in a certain area. You might you might not be um, uh, very strong in a certain subject, but the fact that you can accept where you are will will allow you to um, uh, to to either. Uh, live with that or to improve it. But if you're not, then you're delusional and you're having a, uh, a consciousness issue. And assertiveness is, the, I think, the last pillar I didn't discuss yet, um, the ability to assert yourself. And these, these are all linked. If you're not able to assert yourself then and you don't believe you can, uh, then, then you're, you're going to essentially attack your ability to, uh, to rely on yourself and your ability to get where you need to go. These are all linked, they're, they're, but the the I think what you're talking about is a matter of self-acceptance, and that's part of Nathaniel's six pillars of his self-esteem, which I agree with. I think those that's an essential thing for people to uh, to to uh, to get a well-balanced, become a well-balanced person. Uh, Ayn Rand might have lacked self-acceptance in certain areas, and I think she definitely did around smoking and cancer. But but she certainly had. A high self-esteem in a lot of areas. She had her weaknesses. Nathaniel has weaknesses. I have my weaknesses. I think we all have our weaknesses. Um, but nevertheless, we still should try to to improve ourselves. 
And another last thing is Nathaniel uh, had the what what differentiates him from the the self esteem movement of today is that the people of the self esteem movement today are are teaching people how to to give themselves affirmations to blow kisses in the mirror and tell them how wonder tell themselves how wonderful they are like uh, Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you're, you're good enough. You're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. right telling yourself and uh, telling yourself that you're better, telling yourself that you're worthy, telling yourself that you're confident, and all of that is nonsense in Nathaniel's eyes and my eyes because you have to go to the gym and build up your skills in each of the different areas. And Nathaniel broke it down into the different areas that you really should be building yourself up and being more conscious, being more assertive, being more purposeful, being more responsible. These are things you can work on, and then you'll you'll have as a consequence you'll have a higher self-esteem. He's not teaching people to believe in themselves. He's teaching people to become somebody that they can believe in. Do you see the difference? Uh, yeah, but I don't think Nathaniel Brandon does, uh, nor do you, because uh, you're slipping back and forth between rating yourself and rating your behaviors. You talked about having confidence in your abilities. That's task. That's very good. That's task confidence. And uh, that's what I'm recommending. Just rate your abilities. And you talked about high self-esteem in certain areas. Well, if you have high self-esteem in one area, meaning you're, you think you're a good person, and low self-esteem in another area, you're a bad person, well, which is it? Are you a good person or you're a bad person? Uh, if Ayn Rand had high self-esteem in some areas and low self-esteem in other areas, what we're really saying, either she's both a good and bad person, which doesn't quite make sense, or more accurately, she does well in some areas and does poorly in other areas. Let me get back to your analogy to the car and the tires, which I thought is an apt one. And that is, if you get a flat tire, then you want you feel you feel you can't trust your tire; it's flat. The issue is not rating my car. I have a bad car and junking the car. The issue is getting the tire fixed. If you low on oil, then get the oil changed. So focus on, and that's a very good analogy to a person, focus on your behaviors, rate your behaviors, but when you overgeneralize to your total self, there's no point. It tends to lead to anxiety because you don't know if you're going to live up to your standards the next day, which means then you get a bad report card on yourself. And, uh, and it does, so it doesn't work. It leads to anxiety, invidious comparisons with others. And also, if you have low self-esteem because you believe in rating your total self, that means you're no good, you're a failure. And how can a failure as a person succeed? Obviously, he can't. So it tends to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So it sounds to me like uh, one of the biggest differences here is that, um, you know, Michael, you're seeing the concept of self-esteem as as this overall rating thing, and and the dangers that can come with that. Because if you if your if your rating seems to wobble in, in your mind for whatever reason, that can really affect a lot of other areas in your life. Whereas if you are doing, I think what what you kind of more tend to do is is, is focus on uh, sort of individual areas of your life that you need to work on and. And if you do that, you're able to build up those areas without sort of, you know, affecting, you know, the, the overall rating of yourself. Is that, you know, is that a somewhat accurate you know, portrayal? That's right. And as as, Ju as Judd mentioned, uh, inciting one of Nathaniel Brandon's 
uh, pillars of self-esteem, the practice of self-acceptance. Yes, that's what I'm going for. Unconditional self-acceptance. Accepting yourself as the imperfect human you are, who at times does well, at and at times does poorly, at times is liked, at times is disliked, and is a process. One of the problems with giving yourself a report card and saying, I'm a good or I'm a bad person, is humans are a process. We're always changing. We could do poorly one day and, well, the next. Ayn Rand could write a book that flops, and then her next book could be a wild success. So then overgeneralizing to her essence, her personhood, her being as a person uh, really doesn't make sense. So uh, that's my problem. Does that I, answer your question? I, 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 think, I, I think I get it. Uh, this is a more nuanced discussion than I expected, but that's fine. The, the difference here is uh, that you're, you're looking at our esteem in certain tasks and abilities individually, and we don't need a more generalized score. For example, right, I'm right. confident in myself as a photographer. I'm not right. confident in myself as an archer because I never shot a bow and arrow in my life. So I'm not. I would have no confidence in that. Right. Exactly. that but but is there a value to having? Is there a point to having a fundamental, uh, overarching, uh, concept of our self-esteem in a general sense? And you're saying no. Is that right? Exactly. And I'm saying yes. So that is a point of disagreement because I do think that we do have a fundamental overarching sense of ourselves. And I think uh, and Nathaniel was teaching that, that if we are living, uh, uh, if we are being irresponsible, if we are being unconscious about our activities, if we do not accept who we are and where we are, if we're not living purposefully, if we don't have integrity, if we don't assert ourselves, then overall, we're going to have a very strong general lack of self-esteem about ourselves at a very fundamental sense. Well, what good uh, does that do? What's the benefit? What, what uh, that, that uh, it's, not, it's not whether that's good or bad, we're going to have it. We're going to have a very strong uh, negative view of our ability that one, we are not competent, and two, we are not worthy. And, what, we, we're what go, and, we, and we can we can blow a lot of kisses in the mirror and tell ourselves how wonderful we are, but but we're not going to feel confident in ourselves. And and our what good does it do? It, it it's no. important to understand that so that we can improve it. So if we can if we can learn to have uh, be more responsible, live more consciously, have more integrity, assert ourselves more, live with more purpose and more productivity, and and accept ourselves. We can grow our fundamental nature. It, it, all of that matters when you go into meetings with people, when you interact with people, when, when uh, people size each other up very fast in a hierarchy, very quickly. A lot of very successful businessmen uh, go do crazy stuff like helicopter skiing and, and uh, really bold uh, th th uh, adrenaline rushing events because they're they keep pushing their ability to handle challenging situations. And that affects them when they go into uh, meetings with other large businessmen. They've, they've experienced fear, they've experienced anxiety, and they've pushed past it. And their ability to do so in different tasks ha has an effect on their ability in that, in that meeting to handle these other tough bastards who also push themselves in, in different ways. So I think that that your your it, that those tasks skills that you've built up 
your abilities in all these different areas, your abilities to handle anxiety and all, all of these different fields do add up into a generalized sense that does affect you when you go and interact with people. My name is Dale Kearns, and I'm running for United States Senate in Pennsylvania as a libertarian. I'm a concerned citizen who has had enough. I work as a project manager for an electrical contractor in southeastern Pennsylvania. There I manage large commercial and industrial projects. I'm a husband and a father of two energetic little girls. I'm running to advocate for a society where my girls have more liberty, not less. Will you support our campaign? Unlike my competitors, I'm not a career politician. I don't have millionaire and billionaire donors. I'm running for Senate in Pennsylvania because I want to take the message to Washington that we want government out of our lives. Will you let me be your voice? Let me be the voice that says we will not walk quietly down the road to serfdom. The voice that says we need free market solutions. The voice that says we need to end the failed war on drugs. The voice who will fight for the forgotten man, non-violent offenders wasting away in prison, and addicts who are afraid to speak up and seek the help they need. We are seeking members for our campaign team. I encourage you to apply. We need donations to help us spread the message of liberty across the state. We can go on hoping for liberty to happen, or we can fight together. I hope you choose the latter and join me today. Find out more at DaleKearns.com. Paid for by Dale Kearns for Office. Judd, I think it, it seems more like your concept of self-esteem that you, you get from Nathaniel Brandon is is more, it's less about kind of what Michael's saying and, and less about analyzing individual traits that you have. I mean, obviously, high self-esteem doesn't mean I'm good at everything. It doesn't mean I'm good at archery and photography and podcasting and all these things. It's more about your confidence to deal with the world as it comes at you. Uh, and the, the you know just the, the fact that you are able, as a human being, to accept the reality of the world around us, accept the world as it is, and know that we're not going to be good at everything, know that we're not going to achieve in every single area, but also know that that's okay and, it, and that it does doesn't make us a bad person and that we can still have high confidence to tackle the challenges that the world kind of throws our way. Now, why isn't that what I call unconditional self-acceptance, accepting yourself as the imperfect human you are? As you said, Mark, you do well at some things, poorly at other things. You might change tomorrow, uh, but you're still the same imperfect human. And that leads to rather than trying to have high self-esteem to do better in life, have high self-discipline to work hard at things, to push yourself to do better and uh, never put yourself down or put your ego on the line, depending on how well or poorly you do or even your traits or patterns of behavior. The, oh, so I have, yeah, the, I, there's a real strong reason. Why would you not just look at your individual skills and, and make a rating on, on a judgment on that? Why would you look at a fundamental sense of yourself? Why is that important? Why is that valuable? Well, because you might push into other areas. So, for example, somebody with a very high, uh, who has developed their, their self-esteem, who's gone to the gym and worked out all these different areas and strengthened themselves, essentially, uh, they they have a stronger feeling of if everything is taken away from me and I'm thrown butt naked into another city, like let's say Chicago, and I don't have any social network and I don't have any skills that apply in that city that I can now go. And I'm, I know that I'm a responsible, uh, aware person who's, who, who's productive and, uh, can assert myself and live with integrity, has acceptance for where I am. And I can go and, and, uh, become, king of the jungle in any domain that I'm thrown into, or, or, or at least I can rise there. 
Whereas somebody who's just looking at their skills and they're 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 rating themselves as far as their current profession or what they're doing, uh, if they don't have a generalized sense of themselves, they're not going to take on those challenges. Um, I jumped into so many different businesses that I had no business being in um, for, uh, over the years from. I, I from commercial real estate, I didn't know what I was doing when I jumped into that. And I and I bought a house in Bel Air and I made a lot of money with that. I, I got a parking company. I didn't know what I was doing with that. I, I figured out what I was doing and we had the fastest growing parking company in LA. I'm now in a I have a cannabis company. I sell drugs legally at the moment. I, I jumped into that without knowing the world, but I felt of cannabis quite as well as some of the others do. But I've, I'm finding my footing and I'm figuring out how to do it. If I didn't have in esteem in myself in a general sense, not in a specific sense, but in a general sense that I can figure out what I, uh, how to handle myself, how to get my footing, how to rise, then I wouldn't have done that. And so that general score is valuable. Uh, we, we need to look at ourselves at a fundamental level. How do we have high self-esteem at a fundamental level? It is very valuable. It, I, I think essential um, to the human experience. Uh, uh, Judd, I'm not clear why if someone doesn't have high self-esteem or low self-esteem, they unconditionally accept themselves, whether they do well or poorly, what would stop them from taking risks? Uh, the fact that they don't, if you don't feel comfortable that you can handle that risk, then you're, you're gonna be cautious. You're gonna hold yourself back. There's certain risks that I won't take because I'm not confident enough at, at my, in my ability to jump into that domain. Well, that's what I'm talking about, confidence in your ability rather than in your total self. And if you don't have high or low self-esteem, just unconditional self-acceptance, why wouldn't you relish risks and look forward to the challenge and what you could learn from it rather than uh, shy away from it? Well, risks risk have consequences. So right. a lot of people don't want those consequences. Right. And Wouldn't it be good to evaluate the possible consequences, negative, and the possible consequences on the positive side, and weigh that, and then decide what you want to do? Sure, sure. But but somebody with a fundamental, general, fundamental high self-esteem of themselves will take risks that others won't because they know that they'll just figure out a way to make this work, and they'll have a high. It's it's on a it's on a continuum. It's not black or white. But uh, uh, as a matter of degree, they will have a higher degree of, of confidence in their ability to handle whatever it is that gets thrown their way. If they get hammered, if they get broken, they will repair themselves and they'll rise again. Yeah. Whereas if that's somebody really, with a general sense won't do that. If, if that's really true, Judd, then what about the other side of the coin? You know, most people have a tendency to denigrate how they do and denigrate their behavior. So on the other side of the coin is low self-esteem. So if someone mm -hmm. with high self-esteem, if that's more of an incentive to take risks, then someone with low self-esteem is much less likely to take risks, uh, which is unfortunate. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. So, so, so if they don't rate themselves at all as good or bad people, then they have no reason not to take a new risk if they failed in the past because they're not bad people or losers. Maybe well, they succeed in the future. Well, yeah, the, your self-esteem isn't your biology. Your, your self-esteem is fluid. You can come, you can go to the gym and exercise and build your skill and build your ability, build and build your confidence and build build uh, build your ability to be more conscious, be more responsible, 
you can do every single day. You can do things to make yourself aware that you're a more responsible person or a less responsible person, that you're a more conscious person or a less conscious person. And every day you're impacting your self-esteem. So it's not like you're a low self-esteem person or a high self-esteem person. You might be today, but uh, you can improve that tomorrow. You can improve that in just a couple hours. You can improve that in a few days. And you can seriously improve that over the course of a few years. So you're saying you could be a good person today and a loser but tomorrow? It's, it's not a good person or bad person. It's a competent, worthy person or not an incompetent and unworthy person. And you can go from high self-esteem to low self-esteem if you just go off track and let yourself go. Well, Ayn Rand used to say A equals A, but if you're an incompetent person today and a competent person tomorrow, then you're uh, then A doesn't equal A. You're different people. Well, yeah. Whereas yeah, you yeah, can because uh, well, oh, people, let me finish. Just, oh, Judge, may I finish? Of, sure. May I finish? But uh, if you did poorly today, and that's not your essence, you could do well tomorrow. So again, if you overgeneralize to your total self. It seems to add extra baggage to the whole equation and doesn't really focus on your improving your ability or your patterns of behavior. Well, you're a psychologist and, and yeah. you know people develop. People are coming to you to change the situation that they're in. We are, we're all born ignorant. At one point, we, ha we all learned how to tie our shoes. At one point, we learned how to walk. We learned how to ride a bike. Uh, and, and we all gained gained abilities over time we can all improve and change the situation just because we were once a non-tie shoe tying person doesn't mean we're forever a non-shoe tying person skills can be learned self-esteem can can change uh it's not a is a one person is a low self-esteem person and and look next month he's a high self-esteem person without that low self-esteem person developed into a high self-esteem person that scrawny guy went to the gym and developed into a, a guy that's more muscular it, it can happen just the same way. Yeah. Can I just step in for a second? As someone who's sort of an agnostic in a way on this, uh, and, and I mean, I have found some value in Nathaniel Brandon's work, um, but I also, I think, you know, Dr. Ellison's criticisms are, are interesting in their own way. But when I listen to you guys talk about this, it, it the more and more I hear, the more I start to think that um, Dr. Edelstein's concept of, I believe you call it unwavering self-acceptance, yeah. isn't necessarily that far different, even though you're, you're using different terms and coming from it in a, in a very different way, isn't that far different from Judd's concept of self esteem. It really is accepting who you are in the world, uh, accepting that there are challenges that are going to come at us, accepting that we're not going to be good at everything and we're not going to be good at everything on every day. And none of that makes us a good or bad person. It's really just about accepting who we are and, and plowing forward. Now, I know you guys have vastly different approaches coming to that, but you know, as someone who isn't trying to pick a winner in this, I don't see them uh, these concepts as necessarily that far off. You're absolutely right. This is a more nuanced discussion. Uh, he he uh, everything he's saying about acceptance is completely in line with, with Nathaniel's view of self-esteem and mine. Um, the, the difference is, is there a reason to have a more generalized, uh, a fundamental judgment of ourselves? And I'm saying, absolutely, you need to build that fundamental judgment up because that will, that will apply to your ability to, to step outside your boundaries uh, in, uh in an important way. Mark, I think you make a good point about there's a lot of overlap be, uh, between what we're both saying and there's some nuance in there. Uh, the reason I come at it differently is because as a clinical psychologist, I mainly work with people 
who have low self-esteem, are feeling depressed, are doing poorly in life, and when they see they don't have to rate their total selves as incompetent or bad or losers or no good, that it doesn't make any sense that they can just rate their behaviors and thereby change their behaviors, uh, then they tend to do much better. So, so with these people, uh, the least and lost among us, uh, it seems to make a, a radical difference when they develop unconditional self-acceptance, stop putting their total selves down, and then they feel more optimistic about the future and are more likely to go ahead with working toward their goals. I, I, I actually, that's where I disagree. I think that they do need to understand the concept of self-esteem. I think that's critical to helping them uh, get out from where they are. Uh, but but it's not just that they need to feel good about themselves. And you've said good and bad. Self-esteem is not a judge, a value judgment. Uh, it's it's a competency judgment. It's a worthy judgment also. But it's it's about uh, it's not about good and bad. It's about being um, uh, if you if you if I I had low self-esteem, extremely low self-esteem, and I wasn't willing to take on uh, a lot of challenges and and uh, risks that I do now I had to develop my ability to uh, to handle that and I had to develop my being I the most important book I've ever read is actually his his, his book um, taking responsibility that that's a very practical way to build your self-esteem the more responsible you are the more you feel like you can rely on yourself and you don't worry about others the, these these general things are concepts that I feel anybody that's having a low self-esteem and, and is feeling weak, they're feeling like a loser. Well, you know what? They have been behaving like a loser. I was behaving like a loser. And I had to uh, accept that uh, before I can ex- before I can go and improve that. I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it doesn't what we do need to teach people is that because they've been behaving like one doesn't mean that they biologically are a loser. That's just complete nonsense. Yeah, I'm not saying biologically, I'm saying psychologically, they think of themselves as a loser. And I agree with you, they're not a loser. Uh, they just are people who lost at some areas of their life. And then adding, therefore, I'm a loser. No, you know what? Really I, I'm saying them. I'm saying they are. They are losers. And now let's change. Oh, you it. are? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, uh, I teach photography sometimes. I've taught a few. And I can teach any ignorant person to shoot better than a pro very fast, unusually fast. But but I but everybody that I'll teach, I'd rather teach that. I don't want professionals because I have to unteach them. I prefer ignorant people, and and I and they acknowledge we're ignorant. We don't know anything. I'm ignorant as an archer. I'm 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 a loser. And I'll if I tried to do a, a join an archery competition, I would be a loser. Because my score would be very low, I'd probably be last. I don't know what I'm doing there. I've never shot a bow and arrow. Uh, it's it, it's I I think it's important to acknowledge where you are and build. Every time I join a new uh, industry, I've taken on much industries where I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I'm a loser when I start. I'm ignorant. I'm I'm can't. I'm not competent. I'm completely incapable of achieving anything until I gain some network. I gain some skills. I gain some understanding of what's going on. And then I have a higher level of competence, but not because I wished my competence to go up, but because I actually had to go out there and develop it. And, it, and it's you, okay to acknowledge that you're a loser in certain things and then, and then improve it. If you had a 16-year-old son 
who was doing poorly at math, would you say, uh, let me help you with your math, let's see where you're deficient and do better, or would you say, kid, you're a loser? Uh, I would say, uh, Johnny, we're going to turn you into Johnny 2.0, because right before, yeah, you sucked. This is crap. Get, but the good news is it's not going to be like that forever. So uh, uh, we're going to show you very quickly how to go to Johnny 2.0, then 3.0, and then eventually you're going to be teaching people once you're Johnny 10.0. And again, it seems to me like your judge is, is basically saying recognize. I mean, I think we're mixing some terms here where Dr. Edelstein, you're using like good and bad person. Judge, you're saying like loser, but you're really similar. Again, describing similar things. Hey. It's recognizing lack of competency in certain areas, yeah. realizing that's okay, and then having the confidence to learn that competency as as in build yourself. It's, all, it's also kind of a, a, a freeing. Yeah, guess what, Johnny? 1.0 means you're a loser. You're not even 1.0. You're like 0.8 beta. We're going to get you to 1.0, and then we're going to get you higher. And uh, that's that's my approach when I teach people things. Yeah, guess what? You're right now low. They, they do that in the Army. They, they, they start off like that. They do that in like most things. There's nothing wrong with that, uh, except unless people are just really attached to thinking that they're amazing right off the bat before they've gone to the gym and, and built up their skill set. Yeah, well, it, when, peop- when the people I work with think they're a loser – they think that means that's the way they are. That's not biologically. That's what I'll teach them. That's what I'll and, teach them. That's uh, not the way they are. Yeah, I know. But, well, that's very good that that's not the way they are, and that's what I teach them. But they, unless they learn a different way to look at things, they continue but, to But you don't need to throw out the whole concept of self-esteem in order to get them uh, to move past where they are, like self-esteem is is irrelevant. So guess what? You're free, and you don't have to have a high self-esteem. You just need to build uh, a skills in certain different tasks, esteem in certain tasks. I don't think that's. I, I think that a fundamental sense of self-esteem is something that they are missing and that they're looking for, and that you as a clinical psychologist can help them build. Hi, gentlemen. Well, I think we've uh, had a pretty good conversation here today. I mean, I think in many ways, like I've said a couple times, I think that there is like a ton of overlap actually in your concepts here um, and then maybe sort of an overarching difference. So I'll let you guys have sort of a closing statement each. Um, and then, um, so why don't we just start with Judd again to just summarize your view about uh, self-esteem and why you do feel like the overarching concept of sort of having high health esteem can help you handle these little challenges. And then I'll I'll give Dr. Ellestein the final word to uh, you know, reemphasize his critique. I, as I said earlier, I haven't read any of Nathaniel's books in about 10 years. I haven't even looked into any of the articles or refreshed myself on the topic. I just have a, a general knowledge of it from back in the day. And, and as we're talking and I'm rehashing these ideas, it's, it's all coming back to me a lot better. And, and you might hear as the conversation goes on, I have a higher esteem of my ability to discuss these <laughs> topics. Um, but uh, I, I, I do think that we all, whether we want to or not, whether we think it's helpful or not, we do have a general understanding of our uh, general fundamental esteem of ourselves. And we do need to develop that. And there's no reason to throw that away and try to pretend it's not there. Whether, Whether we want to believe it's helpful or not, it's there. And pretending it's not there is not helpful to anybody. We, we do want to improve ourselves in, in as many areas as we can. And as we do, we keep building our judgment of ourselves as more competent and more worthy. And then we keep doing it. One of the most important things that I think differentiates Nathaniel Brandon 
from the rest of the psychology world from back in the day when he was coming up with self-esteem is psychology was focused on helping sick people or people with problems get to normal and alleviating those problems. Whereas Nathaniel Brandon was focused on helping normal people reach higher levels. And that's what really um, blew up. That's what the personal development world, they call themselves or self-help. I like to use the word personal development. Personal development world is focused on not just helping people that are below normal, but helping people that are normal get at higher levels or helping elevated people achieve even higher levels. And of course, that's applicable to people that are below normal because normal doesn't mean anything. We're all individuals on a gradient and we can all improve ourselves, whether we're we have a we're below normal, we are normal, or we're elevated. It doesn't matter. Either way, we can still keep improving our situation and, and then improving our general fundamental sense of ourselves. And I, I believe that that's what we should be focusing on. And I think that's a very important thing. All right. And Dr. Edelstein, I'll give you uh, the last word here to, uh, you know, state why you, you know, have an overall disagreement with this concept of self-esteem, even though I, th- I do think uh, we all see that there's a, there's a lot of overlap and, you know, a lot of the, the concepts here. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think the overlap is that we both agree with rating behaviors, and then I don't agree with overgeneralizing to our total selves for many reasons. One is the whole idea of self-esteem is unempirical. You don't see good or bad people walking around. You see people acting in good ways or bad ways. You see someone who speaks five languages fluently, but you don't see a good person. You see someone who speaks five languages fluently. It's also self-contradictory. It ignores multiple roles, as we've been saying. You could be a wonderful father and a, a very bad worker or a great tennis player and a poor chess player. So it's self-contradictory to say, therefore, you're a good or you're a bad person. It's an overgeneralization. Humans are infinitely complex, always evolving, growing process. So to overgeneralize from our behaviors or patterns of behaviors or abilities uh, to a, a total rating uh, doesn't honor the process. It ignores the process. It tends to uh, squelch motivation to change because how can I change from being a bad person? If I'm a bad person, if I'm incompetent, obviously I can't be confident, competent. But if you evaluate your behaviors, I'm playing chess badly today. I can play chess well tomorrow. Also, it lacks parsimony. It's much simpler just to say, rate my behaviors. Am I doing well or poorly at this? How can I change than to go on to rate yourself, your total self as a consequence? It often leads to arrogance. High self-esteem often leads to arrogance and grandiosity. I'm better than you. Why should I listen to you? I can't learn anything from you. And finally, uh, it leads you to try to prove yourself because your ego's on the line rather than enjoy yourself in life. And in closing, I just want to say, Judd, I greatly enjoyed this discussion with you, and I appreciate um, your willingness to discuss this and, uh, and the fair, civil way you've discussed that. So I've, uh, it's been very good speaking with you about this. 
Well, thank you. And again, it's not about being good or bad, but that's a dis- continued discussion for another time. All right, and maybe uh, you know, perhaps down the road, we'll see how much uh, interest this topic generates with our fan base. It is a little bit um, off the track of what we normally do here at Lions of Liberty. It's, it's not directly addressing libertarian ideas, but you guys are both uh, very, like I said, what I would call hardcore libertarians. And I think ultimately these concepts do, uh, for both of you, tie back into uh, the concepts of self-reliance and individualism and that sort of thing, which, of course, all, all does tie back into the philosophy of liberty. So I've really enjoyed uh, mostly listening to you guys hash this stuff out. I really find a lot of value in in the debate, as it, just as I do about uh, the debate when it comes to political ideas. So I really appreciate both of you coming on the show today. Uh, it's been an absolute blast, and uh, you know, keep up the great work, guys. Keep on roaring. Thanks, okay, Mark. Thanks, thanks Mark. Mark. Thank you. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed this little uh, side foray into a little bit of a different topic. I like to do some different shows once in a while. Last week we had Mike Brancatelli on talking about ayahuasca, and now we've got Judd Weiss and Dr. Michael Edelstein talking about self-esteem. So I hope you've enjoyed the last few weeks where we're not necessarily down the strictly libertarian path of things, though ultimately every subject that I tackle here with my guests I do feel does tie into the greater liberty picture. I hope you guys agree. do encourage you to check out that my previous two interviews uh, with Dr. Michael Edelstein and my first interview with Judd Weiss. I will post all of this again today in today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 352. But now I would like to tell you a little bit more about our plans for Porkfest taking place in just a couple days in Lancaster, New Hampshire. I am so very excited and so very, very grateful to all our supporters who are literally sending us there. We are all able to go to Porkfest thanks to you. Thanks to you guys who have sent us money uh, via Patreon, formerly via Podbean, but now most of you guys are moved over to our Patreon page, again at patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. That's enabling us to attend Porkfest, record some podcasts there, also attend uh, the New Orleans Libertarian Party National Convention, which myself and John Odermatt will be attending just about a week later. So we have a pretty busy couple Liberty Weeks coming up here, but it's all thanks to our supporters. And when I say supporters, I don't even just mean the people that send us money, the members of the Lions of Liberty Pride. I mean everybody who listens to this show, Everybody who shares this show, uh, if you're involved at all in this conversation and are a listener in any way, we thank you because without you guys being out there, without you guys talking about this program, downloading, listening to all our shows, we wouldn't be here even doing this in the first place. So thank you to everyone who has been with us on this now nearly five-year journey here with the Lions of Liberty podcast since I first fired up this, well, it's not this microphone. It was a different, uh, much less nicer microphone back then, but uh, almost five years ago. So uh, very excited that we've been able to expand our show to the point where we're able to, without spending our own money, go off to these other great libertarian events. So I just wanted to run down our plans for Porkfest. And if you have or on the fence about going to Porkfest at all, if you still have a chance to make it up there, you can get a discount uh, through Lions of Liberty. This is only being announced on the show. I've, I've mentioned it a few times, but please do use the discount code LIONS10 to get your tickets. And if you get VIP tickets, you'll be able to hang out with us in the VIP tent and get some, uh, you know, some food and drinks and all sorts of nice things and mingle with a lot of the speakers, such as Ben Swan. Uh, Eric July is going to be there. It should be a really, really great time. But uh, we are going to be recording several podcasts. The first is a show that I plan to air a week from today. It will be a live episode of Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor that we record at Porkfest, and it will feature the much ballyhooed, the much uh, feared, for me a little bit, 
whiskey challenge. This is a a event where uh, we will be divided into teams of three. It'll be myself, Howie, and Rico versus Brian, Odie, and JB. Longtime listeners of this program will be familiar with all those names. And uh, essentially, whichever team finishes a handle of whiskey first is the winner, the loser. I don't know. It's going to be scary. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but I guarantee it will be fun and it will make for, it'll make for audio. I don't know what kind of audio, but it will make for some kind of audio. So that is hopefully what you guys will all be hearing a week from today on this program. We're also going to be recording some bonus shows along the way. Uh, we will have our mobile audio equipment there. So I'm hoping to maybe record an, an on the fly degenerate gamblers. This is of course all stuff that's only going to be for our Patreon supporters. Um, hopefully we'll be recording. Well, not Hopefully, we have a scheduled recording of the League of Liberty podcast, which people who support this show or the Lava Flow podcast, the Johnny Rocket Launchpad, or We Are Libertarians, if you support any of those shows, you've probably heard the League of Liberty. That's our little super group with myself, Johnny Adams, Roger Paxson, and Chris Spangle. And uh, I'm so excited to meet these guys in person and to record a podcast together in person. This should be really, really interesting. If you have heard any of the past League of Liberty shows, which at times have gotten a bit contentious, I think you're going to love hearing what we record live at Porkfest. I'm very excited about it. And like I said, we're going to try to be grabbing interviews with a lot of the speakers there, hoping to talk to Ben Swan, hoping to talk to Eric July, uh, hoping to talk to the wide array of speakers, many of whom I'm not even that familiar with because there are just so many people and events going on at Porkfest. So I'm really excited to become a little more immersed with a lot of the voices in the, in the libertarian community that I'm currently not even familiar with and hopefully you know, make some new connections that way. Again, that is all thanks to our supporters. Please, if you even have a few dollars a month, five bucks a month gets you access to all our bonus audio content and that's just giving up a beer giving up a coffee it's really easy to do and of course we are still trying to gather some more funds uh, to fund our trip to New Orleans which is right after Porkfest uh, we have bought our tickets we have our housing locked in but uh, you know we have we have some more things we need equipment wise so every single dime helps and again you can find all of your, the information about how to support the show over at patreon.com slash lions of liberty uh, be sure to keep an eye Pridesters on that Patreon feed because as I record stuff at Porkfest, as we get interviews on the fly, that's going to go right to that Patreon feed. We're going to get everything out there, um, of course, hoping to release some of it to the public eventually, uh, depending on what kind of audio we end up getting. But as I record things, we'll be shooting them off over to the Lions of Liberty Pride. So our supporters will get everything first and uh, everything uncensored, unedited, unpackaged. You're going to get it as it happens. So again, lionsofliberty.com slash support where you can find more info. Or just head right over to patreon.com slash lions of liberty. Folks, I got a pack. I'm about to get on a plane to New Hampshire to go to Porkfest. I'm so excited about it. Be sure to tune in this Wednesday to Brian McWilliams on Electric Liberty Land. And of course, wrap up your week with John Odermatt's hard-hitting look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. Until next time, live long and live free. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. 
This is Chris Spangle, and I am the host of We Are Libertarians, which you can find in iTunes, Google Play, or at wearelibertarians.com. We are a podcast that brings you all of the irreverence that modern politics deserves by examining current events from a libertarian perspective. So please, check us out at wearelibertarians.com. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Thank you.